Welcome back to Factory Sealed. It is February the 7th, 2015. My name is Eric Peterson. Joining me today is, once again, the one and only Jess Clarkson. That was better. That was? It was better than insulting you the past two times? Yep, I'll accept it. Okay, good. Glad. Uh, Back again, Kevin Byer. How come I don't get uh, some sort of I'm so awesome speech? I did. Back again. You are here again. (laughs) Oh, that's it. I'm just just here again. Okay, fine. Do you want to start over and like I can come up with something dumb? I don't think you're capable of thinking of anything better than that. Really probably not this early in the morning. Also, joining us today, special guest, all the way from the Midwest, my soon-to-be brother-in-law, Mr. Derek Scable. Well, hey guys, how's it going? Great to be here, and I won't ask for a fancy introduction or anything since it's my first time. That was a fancy introduction. That was a pretty fancy introduction, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like well, longer than all the other introductions put together. You know, you can't ask for much on the first time here, so... Yeah. <laughs> we can only go up from here. Actually, it sounds like I can only go down from here from the way everybody else is. Talking. Actually, yeah, that's probably more of the truth. <laughs> it just gets worse the further in you get. Well, I look forward to it. So, um, we are here doing our inaugural Final Fantasy VIII Disc 1 episode. I feel like we're on a little bit of a roll here because when the show first started, we used to set out to, to complete really ambitious games, and then we'd get about 30 minutes into them and just forget about them. But Jess and I completed Suikoden last week, and now here we are rolling along quite quite handily on Final Fantasy VIII, and correct me if I'm wrong, we are all through Disc 1, correct? Through Disc 1. Eh? Oh, wait, Jess! <laughs> correct. I'm through Disc 1. I am finished. Jess gets the shit-colored star this week. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you suck, Jess. Oh, just wait until you hear about how far I've gone, and then determine... <laughs> Is it farther oh, the than? Star should be. Is it farther than Aaron? I don't think so. I think we might be neck and neck for that. Wow, that's terrible. Yeah. So, but uh, we haven't. We we got some stuff to catch up on. Some personal things we haven't talked in quite some time. Kevin, how's life? Uh, life's pretty good, man. Can't complain. You still distributing the hose? Uh, yeah, I got a got a promotion, so I'm uh got a desk job, so I don't have to strip anymore. So that's good. <laughs> now, now I'm the one managing all the strippers below oh. me. Gotcha. That's like pretty good. Yeah, yeah. can't complain. You really, like moved up yeah. in the world. Yeah, maybe huh. maybe one or two steps. Then I'll have to kick some people above me and, and steal their spots. And before you know it, you'll be the Hose King of Empire. The world. Yeah, absolutely. King of the world. Jeez. Oh, you yeah. Get, like Hose free Empire. buffet for being the manager? I feel like you would. A, a what? A buffet? <laughs> like the free buffets that they have. Are they always free or do you pay for the buffets? Oh, what? no. You pay for the buffet. What buffets are you talking yeah. about? Does, Can- does like every Canadian buffs. workplace no, just strip- have a buffet? Sometimes they have a lunch buffet. But that's kind of 
fallen out of favor recently because nobody really trusts stripper lunch buffets. I was going to say, I don't think oh, I've ever... All you can eat hot dog buffet <laughs> with all the trimmings. There's, there's no part of me that has ever said, you know what, I want to go to a buffet and see people naked at the same time. I have, feel like that would be an awesome opportunity, though. Have the surf and turf, you know, have a steak on Sniffer's Row. <laughs> <laughs> Did they have a buffet at the, uh, what was that place we went to in Vegas? Uh, there was multiple buffets. Sapphire? Sapphire, yeah. And they wanted like $400 a seat or $1,200 for a bottle of champagne. This isn't your kind of establishment, is it, Kevin? Oh, no, no. We're way, way more low class than that. (laughs) They're the local brothel. We go pick up the homeless people on the side of the street and say, you want to make a few bucks today? <laughs> Jeez. So that's it, just a promotion, just living life? Well, we talked on the Christmas show. That was, like, not too long ago. Yeah, pretty much. So that's, that's the difference. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud, Kevin. Way to go. How about you, Jess? What's new with you? Um, my sister got engaged. I saw that. Yeah, I'm very happy about that. Is that Allie? Yeah. Um, and that was very exciting. And last night I played trampoline dodgeball, Ooh. which was terrifying. Was it gluten-free? It was. <laughs> I made sure that it was gluten-free because sometimes they just fill the little like wall paddings with gluten, and it's terrifying. <laughs> I saw a shirt that I wanted to order for you yesterday. It said, shutting the fuck up is gluten-free. How about add that to your diet? That's amazing. (laughs) I want to get that and wear that around people that I know are gluten-free for no other reason than they're just ignorant about it. That's cool, though. We uh, survived the Super Bowl down here. Oh, yeah. You were saying stuff about that a little bit. It was busy. It was it was pretty busy down here. There, to say. there was a period of time where we were downtown. They had twelve blocks of downtown sectioned off, and blocks in Phoenix are square miles. So they had almost twelve square miles of of just shit blocked off for Super Bowl stuff, and. It was just absolute pandemonium and chaos and hundreds of thousands of people packed in downtown and bands everywhere and people just drunk and yelling. And the Seahawks fans were by far the most obnoxious people. Oh, yes. No doubt there. They won I, I can't possibly believe that because New England Patriots are the biggest douche obnoxious team in the world. No, so. but they're a higher class douche. But I will say this. Geographically, it made it a little harder for them to get here. And I think that snowstorm probably helped us a little bit. Oh, yeah. Kind of deterred some of the, the, <laughs> the, uh, the Patriot uh, fan base. There is There are very few teams that I hate in the NFL, and the Patriots are right up there along with um, the Packers, and the Seahawks are becoming another really hated team for me. And so for me, it was cheering for the lesser of two evils. I just can't stand the Seahawks. I just like the way it ended. I love controversy. Oh, yeah. That was great. (laughs) How you guys cheated your way to the Super Bowl and then won. I know. Good for you guys. That that didn't actually make a difference. It really doesn't. I mean, but. It makes a huge difference. (laughs) (laughs) 
But like coming from someone who knows zero about football, I have to cheer for the Pats because my sister's in Massachusetts, mm. and I have to cheer for Would the Packers you? because my cousins are obsessed with them. How's so, the, so are they uh, are they complete hicks or what? Because that's what Packer <laughs> fans are. Oh yeah, it's total hillbillies or obese. One of the two. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm from Minnesota, just to make that clear, and I am an avid yeah, Vikings fan. So we're in Canada, though, so I don't know if the rules apply. Like, I don't know geographically. I don't know why they like the Packers. How? I know they don't share a border with your wonderful nation. I don't know. How's the Canadian oh. Football League going? What? Nobody cares football about the league? CFL. What about the Montreal Alouettes? Come on. <laughs> they have Chad Johnson. They have Chris Carter's son. Actually, he's in the NFL now. Wasn't Chris I, Carter I, a basketball player? Chris Carter was a wide receiver for the Vikings oh. years ago. Vince Carter was a basketball it, Vince player. Vince Carter. Oh, yeah, there we go. At least I got the last name right. <laughs> Close. Yeah, the Argo cheerleaders hang out at like every single event ever in Toronto, but that's basically it. Alongside Toronto Batman? Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen him lately? Can we not go there? Yeah, Can we just not? Let's not. That's a dark day in... in uh, Factory sealed history. So, well, I suppose we should probably just dive right into this shit because we've got a lot to talk about here. Uh, um, excuse you. What about the trip that we were hashtag saving for the show? That was oh not yes, Mister Derek. Tell us about your oh, cruise. Yes. Well, it went on a Caribbean cruise. First time being in somewhere tropical. Hit up Grand Cayman, Jamaica, and Cozumel. I got engaged, so that was wonderful. And that's why I'm officially the brother-in-law to be of Eric now. So it went great. And that's precisely how they they announced it to everybody. My sister called me up when she was back in Texas, and she's like, "Yeah, you know, we went, we swam with the Stingrays, we got some Tortuga rum. Derek proposed, and then we're back in the car." It's like, don't make a really big deal out of it. You just kind of slip it in there. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to see if people caught it. You know. Well, Eric was just going to by- bypass that whole story. Well, what yeah. a good. I- Future brother-in-law. I apologize. Well, you know, I'm I'm used to it. He's been living with us now, so he's grown accustomed to the American way. Down well, here, at least. The Arizona that's way. Yes, the, the Arizona, Arizona entitlement way. Well. So, um... Disc one. Let's talk about Final Fantasy, guys. Where do we want to start? Because I've got a lot of questions for Kevin, but I don't know if I want to just dive right into like asking Kev how he's playing. But I feel like that's important because we're all <laughs> approaching this from a different angle. Uh, Jess, this is your first time playing it, correct? Yes. Ooh, welcome. Yes, welcome to the best Final Fantasy in the series. Thank you. <laughs> that's debatable. It's not. Continue. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely not the best. It It is. It is the best. <laughs> and... We'll talk about why it's the best, but uh, just what's your history with the other Final Fantasy games? What other ones have you played? None fully. Okay. Dabbled. That's <laughs> so, it. The, They've always been so intimidating. Like I feel like they're just super, super intimidating games. They are so big. They're a I've avoided huge them. Huge time commitment. Hmm. And like, I don't want to sound dumb, but pretty complicated in the amount of like you have a huge amount of control which can be a little overwhelming i think when you're first getting into it so 
I could see that. I can, I can my... completely agree. I mean, I played Final Fantasy VII was the first Final Fantasy I ever played, and I was like, whoa! I had no idea what was going on. So I appreciate your commitment to learning. Yeah, right? I spent a good a good time in that desk trying to learn what the fuck <laughs> Reading this the shit tutorial. meant. No wonder you didn't finish disc one. You stayed in school. <laughs> Fucking loser. Like, I actually went through the tutorials twice. Oh wow! Instead oh, of just wow. playing the game and she seeing the tutorials the as they come up, because you're gonna she have to go through all those tutorials again. <laughs> yeah, that's the shame. She told me to study. She said, "Go back to study." <laughs> Let me guess. You did every available seed test as well, too, didn't you? Well, I'm not there yet. <laughs> the seed tests were right there in the desk at the beginning of the game. No, uh, no, you I have don't... to wait. Oh, do you? Yeah, you do. Oh, till after the Efreet? Until you become a CD. Oh. I yeah, even read so... about this stupid, what is this stupid ball party dance? We'll get, summer... we'll get there. So you're playing this for the first time, and you're, in, you're intimidated by the learning curve. I can understand. This one's probably a little bit more complicated than some of the other ones. The materia system in Final Fantasy VII was just pretty plug-and-play. This one, the battle system, you've got a lot of control over um, your different status attacks and your status defense and your different amounts of magic affect your character stats. So yeah, this one this one might be a little intimidating to jump in on, and I think that's why a lot of people jump ship partway through is because they either don't understand it or they just don't want to take the time to learn. So best oh, Final Fantasy ever is the one that people just stop playing on yeah. mass. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Because they're not willing to be... They're, they're saying, I'm just going to go to Final Fantasy VII because everybody, everybody says that's the best one. And then they Probably play it and they me. realize halfway through, man, I'm going to keep playing this one, unlike Final <laughs> Fantasy VIII. I'm just going to stop playing. <laughs> this one's so good, I don't want to finish it. I just want to <laughs> leave this one in the case. <laughs> it's still wrapped. This but this is coming from Hipster Eric. Mm. So. You're going to... Yeah, this is total Hipster Eric time right now is Final Fantasy VIII. Like... I liked it before everybody else liked it. But now that everybody <laughs> likes it... It's uh, not it cool. It sucks. Yeah. I didn't like it before everybody else didn't like it's it. It's like Taylor Swift, you know? <laughs> no, I The don't Taylor like Swift of Final Fantasies? <laughs> <laughs> it's really awesome when it first came out because it was niche, and then it got commercialized, and then everybody liked it, and then it started telling everybody to go fuck themselves. <laughs> Derek, you've played this one before, right? Yes, this is my second time through. Um, so, like I was uh, explaining to Jess, you know, first time I went through it, unlike Jess, I didn't read all the tutorials, so maybe that would have helped. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I, it, it was a little bit confusing, but now it's a lot better this time around. Um, I know that drawing more spells will boost your stats further. That, that, that was a helpful yeah. little tidbit yeah. that I didn't figure out till about halfway through the game the first time I played it. So I spent a lot of time since I've played it so far um, just drawing spells and building my stats and building a pretty good team. That was like the materia system for me in Final Fantasy VII. I remember getting almost to the end, and I couldn't beat it, and I had a buddy come over, and he's like, do you even know what the hell you're doing? <laughs> no, I really don't. I just put colored orbs in and just said, hey, let's do this. Like, oh, this one gives me fire. This one gives me magic. And, oh, I can do all attack now. And I just had no strategy to it. So that's half the battle with this one is understanding the junction system. 
But and it's a complicated system it too. It really is. The tutorials don't do it. I think very, it can be as complicated justice. as you want or as simplistic as you want. If you just go in and junction all for attack or defense or magic, it's I mean that's as deep as you really ever need to go, but you're not going to do very well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the first time I played it that that's all I did was just kind of looked at the tutorial and realized that screw this and just yeah. auto <laughs> auto fill in everything. There comes a point halfway through the game where I start doing that too because every spell that I have, I have a hundred of it and it doesn't freaking matter. And I just go, all right, here we go, all. And then uh, the only time I switch it is if I'm going into a place that I need a specific status attack. That's See, those are the only ones I really, I, I really uh, pay more attention to are the status and the elemental attachments that you can junctions that you can do so i'm playing this for probably the 50th time um (laughs) to be to be completely honest every time i play it it's like playing it for the first time again because i can't keep the damn story straight it's like that with every final fantasy you kind of remember the overarching theme of the story but you don't remember the fine points because it'd be like watching a 60 hour movie you're not going to remember all of it I mean, shit, I can hardly remember quotes from an hour and a half movie, so... Um, what happened in the Titanic again? <laughs> I, think, I think the iceberg went down. Oh. But they Ca- never like to know each other, so it's fine. Oh, God. But I'm playing this game with a different approach. Yeah, I'm still going to play it normally, but I'm playing it with a different mindset where um, a critical event happens at the end of disc one that a lot of people, when they first play it, just kind of take it at face value. Um, I'm playing it where that alters the second half of or the, the the last two discs of the game so I don't, we'll talk about that a little bit later but i'm i'm approaching it from a different viewpoint and i'm going to try to see if that that conspiracy theory if you want to call it that makes sense but kevin sorry if i spoiled it when we first started talking about this but you can now officially say how you're playing through this game please do because eric has been <laughs> so curious all week he's like i can't wait to talk to how the fuck he is he had, doing has this? Has he told you, or has he just been like... No, just, I told Derek. Just very minor oh, yeah, details, yeah. but... Uh, so I'm playing a no-level-up version of the of the playthrough. It's so fucking ridiculous. I don't understand that. I just can't... But how do you even do that? Well, we were thinking about... We were talking about that last night, where um, I was fighting the sorceress, and we just... I had one of my guides out just because I was looking something up, and I noticed that there was a a range for HP, and the bosses level as you level. So if you technically stay level 7... They'll stay all low HP. And the bosses don't give you XP. They don't. They just That's give right. you AP. Yeah. So if you just run away from every battle and just fight the bosses, it's really not going to be that oh. difficult. So yeah, so every pretty much every other Final Fantasy game... Uh, the the enemies aren't tied to your level. Like, if you accidentally go into a different zone where it's way high-level stuff, like in Final Fantasy VI, you can wander into stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, then the enemies will be way high-level, and you'll just get one-shot by everything. But in this one, all the enemies level up with you. So, because, because bosses don't give XP, the only place you get XP is the random battles, which you don't even really have to fight. Yeah, because you get a you get a guardian force who you learn a spell with, and you can eliminate random battles, right? All the random encounters. Yeah, Diablos cuts it in half. Which one eliminates them well, all? Isn't doesn't Diablos uh, have another one where you can get a hundred percent? Yeah, down? Af- 
after you learn the encounter half, you can learn oh, the okay. encounter none off of Diablos. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what's the what was the strategy? Because you were talking at the beginning about how you had to spend like six hours just grinding cards. Yeah, there's the the only bad part about this way to play the game is there's a lot of prep work. So uh, you start the game and then you get into uh, a couple fights with random enemies and you draw 100 of five different spells off them. Mm-hmm. So that took about 45 minutes, half an hour kind of thing. Uh, and then you can actually continue with the storyline and go go fight Ifrit and get him. And after you do that, you can start leveling up. Uh, you can start playing the card game because now you have cards strong enough to beat other people with. So there's a handful of cards that you need that you can all get in Balam Garden, or that's what it's called, right? Balam yes. Garden. Yeah. That uh, that you can get if you play different people in there, and you have to go and get. Probably like I have like probably like twelve hundred cards. Oh my at this god! Point. Oh my god! <laughs> and you only get one card per game. Uh, no, you can you can manipulate that too because if you go to the second town, mm-hmm. uh, you learn a new you rule. Can, you can talk to the queen of cards there, and you can get uh, different rules added in. Mm-hmm. So the rule that I got was all cards all. are traded yeah. after a fight. Oh Jesus. So, I mean, it's it's not as time-consuming when you do it that way, but it still is quite time-consuming. It took me about six-ish hours oh, to oh, get... playing cards. Of just playing cards, yeah. I had Netflix on in the background, cards. and I was just just playing the card game for like six hours. That's Can we crazy. have a conversation about the card game? Because I had no idea what the hell I was doing and likewise, I it took me a while to figure it out, and... I could use some expert advice. <laughs> uh, so, I was I played the card game the first time that I played Final Fantasy VIII, and I really liked it, so I played a lot of it. So, I had known how to to beat it for for a while, and then I read through this this walkthrough that I'm using to do the low level playthrough, and it gave a little more pointers, and it made it uh, it they explained it in a way that makes perfect sense. All you have to do to win the card game is narrow in on one of the corners of the map. Uh-huh. So either the top left, bottom right, or you know what I'm saying. Build your deck so that once you be- once you take that one corner, then there's no way that your cards will be able to be flipped again. So like so Ifrit has the 9-9 nine, nine in the nines. top right, or the yeah. top and the left, so you target the, top, the bottom right corner. Correct. So yeah. you, you, def- you defend in the bottom right... And you wait until your opponent, because, I mean, it's a computer from 1999, so it's not that smart. So as soon as you lock off one of the corners, the computer is going to use the same strategy and try to lock off the other corner. Mm -hmm. But since their cards are almost always worse than yours, there will always be a situation where the computer will have one, like, uh, think of it if... My alarm clock is going off because we were supposed to start the podcast in 18 minutes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so imagine the grid is like 1 to 9, where 1, 2, 3 are the top, 4, 5, 6 are the middle. The computer will either go in the 1 slot, and then the 2 slot is its first 2 moves, or it'll go in the 1 slot, as, or the 4 slot is its first 2 moves, if you play in the bottom right corner. Mm-hmm. So you play in the bottom right corner, 
And then as soon as they have their two cards like that, in either the 1-2 or the 1-4, you play a card to take the one card, the card in the one slot, and then all you have to do from that point on is flip one card for every card that they flip, and you'll win. Yeah. Because that, that one card that you took could never be taken by the computer. So you're already one ahead, and there's no way you can... And at least until you get the same rule and all the other crazy rules, there's no way that you can lose if you have that one spot taken. So I feel like just the the basic of the game is what eludes some people because they don't really necessarily make it very clear how the cards are flipped. Um, yeah, exactly. So each side well, of the card... they do in the rules. Well, who reads but... the rules? Yeah, if, if you play the tutorial game and read 16 hours of tutorials, yeah, then no yes, thanks. you will. <laughs> <laughs> So, I didn't know the strategy. See, I was dumb enough to think that there was a top number and bottom number, but the left and right number, I thought that was one number for a while. I'm so like, did I. Like, the first time the first time I played the game, I, I why thought... Why is there well, such a big space in the middle of that 13? There wasn't a big space. If you look at them from, like, all zoomed out, it mm. really didn't look like it. It looked like That's it was one true. number. So I was really or cards with right cards with, like, two ones or whatever, those are always, like, really close together. Yeah. What is the the thing that I don't remember is the status elements on the cards. So sometimes they'll have wind or they'll have fire or something like that. How do those come into play? Uh, those are later discs. You can get flip rules based on status. Uh, like fire will flip a water card kind of thing or the other way around. Regardless of the numbers? Yeah, regardless of numbers. Gotcha. That's what I thought. But, but that's that's way farther. Yeah. I have been very hesitant to lose some of my really good cards and then i talked to derek and i suddenly didn't feel so bad because all of his really good cards are gone i lost them all <laughs> and i still thought that middle number was you know tonberry yes. ifrit and i lost tonberry and e- diablos already oh my god diablos is like the best one <laughs> well the pro- you uh, get if you cards, remember who you lost them to they actually Random still encounters. have it yeah, true, but I gotta go back to Balm sometime. But that doesn't mean that, just because you play them, that doesn't mean they're gonna pull it for their deck. True. No, that's true. So, it, it does take a while to get it back after you lose it, but it is still possible. Yeah. And certain cards, Jess, are, are you either have to beat somebody and pull it from them, or, like, Ifrit, you get just get his card for beating him. Uh, most of the Guardian Forces, you just get their card once you acquire the... Or, so, if you or fuck they, up... And, like, I'm 0 for 3 for battle, like, card fights. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Do you just, like, how do you keep... <laughs> okay, take back. it from me, the guy who lost, like, all his good cards and had <laughs> to go back. You just gotta, you gotta acquire some new, better cards and then just start playing people so you can continue to gain cards as you go. Or the strategy, like Eric said, like, a lot of the Guardian Forces have a card that goes along with them. Either it's an ability that you have to learn... Or you get it right away just for uh, beating the beating the guardian. And force those in those guardian force cards are usually super yes. powerful. So I just stack my deck with guardian force cards mm-hmm. and just roll over everyone. Especially once you acquire like the brothers cards, you get a minotaur card and uh, what's the other guy again? Minotaur. Uh, uh, a smaller minotaur. Yeah. <laughs> I think okay, that's so, it. I mean, you get both uh, those. sacred is what it's yeah. called. Yeah, and it, those two, you can block two corners with those cards. And so once I got those cards, I'm like, okay, I can start actually playing people again. And now that I've figured out how to play, and since then I've had a lot more success. Uh, another way you can do it is the the main way that I'm able to use do the the no level up is because 
when you use the card command that you get from Quezacaudal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you use it on an enemy with low HP, it'll turn that enemy into a card, and you'll get the AP from it, but not the XP. Hmm. So you can still level up all of your Guardian Force abilities by using the card command, uh, and you still get zero XP from the monsters. There's the connection. I was so, wondering what the connection was. Do you have to attack those enemies to lower their their HP enough, or can you yes. just okay? You, so you, you have, have to, to attack them at least at least. You can do it with any percentage of their HP gone, mm-hmm. but uh, it's much harder to card them at that point. So are so you constantly saving in case you accidentally kill an enemy and gain experience? Uh, at this point, no, because I figured out that if you have Squall attack with exactly 62 strength, mm-hmm. he'll basically one-shot it into a range that uh, you can card it on usually the first or second try. But uh, And the fact that Squall can never crit means that you'll never accidentally kill an enemy. Gotcha. That sounds really... That's like a really complicated playthrough. It is It is extremely complicated at the beginning because uh, after I did all the carding, I think it took me another seven or eight hours of, of leveling up. Oh my like, god. Like, just with the card abilities. Wow. That's but I mean, right I, there. I, w- I was doing it while I was watching Netflix and, and yeah. watching sports, right? So it's like... You kind of half paying attention because you don't have to pay attention. Well, it's like when you go through the battle system to draw spells, you just sit there and just hold X. Yeah, it's it's just autopilot, right? Yeah. Because I think the most important thing with regard to the battle system, and I told Derek this, is when you first start the game, go into options and set your cursor to memory instead of normal. Because then every turn, your cursor remembers exactly where you were. So if you went to draw and went to that spell and went to stock it... You just hold X and it automatically goes through that. Oh shit! I have definitely oh. not done that. You haven't yes. been doing that. Well, I mean, <laughs> no. you just gotta so, hold X then. Just go every time it. you've been going up, draw over and. Well, yeah. I mean, dude, yeah, your whatever. life's your life's about to change. Go into the menu, go to cursor, and set it to memory. Yeah, it, it will be easier now that I know that, but. Uh... There's not a lot of things that I have to do in the disc two part of the game. Yeah, because I'm at a point where I'm just so powerful. See, and that's yeah. that's the weird thing about this this playthrough is like I'm level seven, and I have thirty six hundred health on all my people <laughs> and a hundred and sixty strength on Squall. Oh my god, that's and rid- it's like <laughs> that's ridiculous because I just finished the disc and. Some of my characters still only have 400 health. No, that's just not even trying. Anymore. Yeah, that's not even trying. But there was there was one battle where I just sat and drew 100 life off of somebody, and I dumped that onto Squall's HP junction, and boom, he skyrocketed up to 2,500 health. Yeah. But, um, but that's the thing, too, because it's like the point of getting the cards is because you can get the, the card or the magic refinement abilities. So you turn the cards into items, and then you turn the items into magic. Yeah. So you can That's get like different. all these amazing spells from the very start of the game if you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, 100 Kiragas on everyone. I have 100 Tornadoes, 100 Quakes. I have oh, wow. like, like all these high-level spells where it's just junction to stuff. 
So I feel like, and, with, I, and I don't even ever have to cast them because my auto attacks are just one shotting everything. I was gonna say, I think with that we should before we dive into the story and stuff, we should probably talk about the battle system because that's the one thing that a lot of people get turned off on. Whenever I hear somebody say they don't like Final Fantasy VIII, they say it's because of the battle system, and I, I understand not everybody is gonna like the story to eight. It it is a little goofy, especially after disc one. It gets a little weird, but the, I I think hands down the battle system for eight is is by far the best battle system it's the most diverse it's got the most strategy involved with it and i think a lot of that has to do with the junction system so and i i am gonna disagree really because the the junctioning system is cool and it adds a lot of dynamics to the game but the chances of of someone picking up final fantasy 8 for the first time today and like not using a walkthrough are pretty slim. Yeah, very slim. At least <laughs> at least in my mind. And the thing about the magic system in this game is you're never rewarded for using your magic. You get 100 of a ability, let's say you get 100 ultimas. Mm-hmm. For some ungodly reason, you have 100 ultimas. And then what are you going to do? Cast an ultima or are you going to junction it to something? Because you're junctioning it to something, and then every time you cast it, you're making your character weaker for a That's, minimum effect. Th- I like that, though, because it, there's that risk and reward. But there is no risk. Or, sorry, there is no reward. Because yeah, there is. If you have all of those spells junctioned to either your vitality or your HP or, or your elemental defense, your character is going to be better and defend against that. But if you have to use that spell... You're going to use it, and it's going to hurt, it's going to hinder your character. But in the in in uh, on the other side, it's also going to help you in battle. But see, I guess I guess if you're not like min maxing your characters at all, then you can use magic in that way, and it makes sense. But if you're trying to level up yourself as powerful as you can be, your strength is going to be at a point where your auto attack is always going to do triple the damage of your best spell. Yeah, but there so, are certain uh, enemies that you that that you may want to use, or, flan, or like the flan, for example. Yeah, the flan. <laughs> Let's uh, not forget well, about the sure flan. for for flavored aspects. Yeah, I want to cast ice on the fire flan because it looks cool when I do. Or but. or <laughs> the thing that I junction the most is is life or full life or cure or kiraga, and there are going to be points in the battle where you have to use those on your characters. But by doing uh, so, you, in the end, lower your overall HP. Yeah, somewhat. But the thing is, you can also game the... the, the what do they call it? The overdrive system? Um, the uh, limit break? Is that what you're Limit breaks, yeah, yeah. You can game the limit breaks by keeping your health low on purpose mm-hmm. so that you can use limit breaks all the time, too. That's true. So, sure, your spell might have a situation where it's going to do more damage because it's AoE, or you could just keep Squall's hit points at 25%, so he can use Renzokuka in every fight, <laughs> and just 100% AoE everything down in yeah. half a second. So, I think for people who don't know what we're talking about with the junction system, the, the magic exists in this game, unlike other Final Fantasies, where you go to the store, you purchase fire, and then you have to you either have X amount of uses of it or you have to use MP. With this, all of the enemies carry magic on them, and you can 
develop a skill to draw that magic. So you can either draw it off of them and stock it, or you can draw it off of them and cast it and use it in battle. Um, all of the, the guardian forces are, are your big summons within the game, and you can junction those to the different characters. And by junctioning them to the different characters, you get different abilities. So um, where some might give you the ability to put magic into your strength slot, others give it for your vitality, and some give you elemental defense, and some give you elemental attack. And then from what there, do you mean by vitality? Sorry, just jumping in because I feel like uh, hit points is your obviously your max health. Vitality is your defense against physical attacks, and spirit is your defense against magical attacks. Yeah. Okay. Then strength and magic, obviously. Yeah, strength, increase physical, physical and magic. Yeah, and magic. And then each of those slots, once a guardian force opens them up you can junction magic to it, and the more magic you junction to it, the better it increases your stats. And then, and you... also the type of magic you junction to it, because yes. if cool. you, like, let's say you have 100 stacks of protect and 100 stacks of fire, uh, fire is going to do better than protect is in the magic slot, but protect is going to do better than fire is in the spirit slot. Just like if you junction life to your HP junction versus thunder, it's going to do... 10 times more. Yeah, exactly. And each Guardian Force has a whole list of skills that they can unlock. So each battle, like Kevin was saying, you get AP off of it. And the, the, the Guardian Forces have anywhere from like 15 to 20 different skills that you can unlock. So you can unlock additional Vitality Junction or Elemental Attack or like 40% HP or plus 40% Strength. So you kind of have to play a lot of aspects um, in order to optimize your battle system. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's another thing that uh, is cool about the card game too, because uh, the cards you can get you can refine into items, which you can then use to boost your guardian forces. So one of the first things I did was I got the Zell card and immediately refined it and used those items to teach three of my guardian forces strength plus sixty percent. Nice. So when you refine a card, do you lose the card? Yes, it's gone forever. Where did you get the oh. Zell card? Uh, you get it from Zell's mom. After oh, you get Zell in so your party. Fun. So I can go back to that town now and get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I can see why people might not like the battle system, but I really, really enjoy it compared to past. And, you know, I think that's a good example. I think if you're a Final Fantasy enthusiast who's played all the games and you've gone through the, the traditional, like, go to the store, buy the fire magic, so to speak, I think this is a good, refreshing uh, change of pace. Um, and I can see why people would be interested. But for people like Jess here, who just picked it up and played it for the first time, I think it's pretty confusing. That's the thing. Like, I really like the potential that I had. Like, I thought it was amazing how you could really fine-tune every single aspect of the battle and really make it work for your advantage. But I just found that initially it was a little overwhelming and a little too much choice. And I know that you can do auto on a lot of things, and that's what I did. Um, and for, but... for you, that'll get you through the game just fine, as long as you remember. Occasionally, just sit and farm spells and keep a lot of your spells up to 100 and just auto-junction attack. You'll you'll be fine. But you know, if you're not taking the approach that Kevin's taking, you're like, I'm just going to get everybody's basic run-of-the-mill attack up to you know 300% above... You, there's that element of, of strategy that, okay, I know I'm going into Ifrit's cave, so I'm going to junction attack spells 
um, I'm going to junction my attack with with Blizzard. And if you get, they I think they explained it where if you have fifty of them, your magic your attack is fifty percent magic. But if you have seventy five and above, it's one hundred percent elemental attack. Is, uh-huh. that, is that right, Kevin? Uh, yeah, it's. If you have, like, it's all based on the percentage, so where it's 50%, like, let's say 50% blizzard damage. Yeah. Then the way the damage works is you do 100 damage, 50 of that damage is blizzard damage, 50 of that damage is physical damage. Yeah. So, and then after that, your bosses or your enemies' resistances will reduce it further. And, see, I like that because I like to know, uh, Derek actually opened me up to the concept of scanning every single enemy that you come across. Oh, God. So it's all... How can you do that? It Why takes like not? 30 seconds for the st- scan animation to finish. It, you just said how it would take, took you six hours at the beginning of the game <laughs> to stack cards, and you're worried about 30 seconds here? Come on! And it tells you what you need to know, and it's like, oh, okay. It gives you a better understanding. He's got you there, Kevin. Ah, uh, whatever. <laughs> there are certain enemies that I won't scan because obviously I know what their, their um, weaknesses are, like most flying enemies are weak to arrow and yeah. stuff like that but resistant to earth yeah. it just adds it, you can make it as complicated as you want and, and you can make it as enjoyable as you want yeah there are ways to game it to make it super easy but if you want to have an actual if you want to have an enjoyable in-depth rpg experience where you're really tweaking your party i think this battle system gives you the most opportunity to do that or you I agree with that. You could just be a huge dick to your entire party and like give all of your guardian forces to one character so everything unlocks for that one person. I've been guilty of doing that in the past. The guardian forces <laughs> will level up slower than to yeah. the more that you have attached. So. Oh, do they? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I think I read that in the tutorial. So if you have more <laughs> at, at your desk in the seat <laughs> office, if you've got more than one guardian force, it doesn't give you the full AP for the battle for each? Uh, AP, you get full AP for everyone, mm-hmm. but uh, because the number of the XP you get also goes to level up your Guardian Forces, uh-huh. so all three people on your team will get equal experience, and then each of the Guardian Forces will get that number divided between them for how many are junction to each player. Gotcha. Okay. I guess I did not know that. Interesting. So... Um, Let's talk about the story for a little bit here, because obviously that's kind of the heart and soul of a Final Fantasy game, and this one gets ragged on quite heavily for being the weakest in the story department. I'm I'm curious to see what you guys think, because I personally really enjoy this, and I rank this as one of my favorite Final Fantasy stories up there with now, after having played at Final Fantasy VI. The thing I... Th- I mean, and it's not really a gripe at the story more as it is a, a gripe about the character design. I think every, all pretty much every character in this game is completely one-dimensional and boring in all aspects. I could see that. Like, Squall is, is a totally one-dimensional character so far. I mean, obviously he's the main character, so he's going to have to start off as a, an idiot and then grow over the course of the game. See, I don't think Squall is an idiot. I think I think Squall is... So... Oh. I think he he's has Asperger's. Idiot. Exactly. <laughs> Derek and <laughs> we I were talking about this. that. I said, if Squall were to exist in the real world, he would totally be on the spectrum. 
And Squall is so quiet, though, that it doesn't give you enough about him. He's so reserved. It's so like... But they start uh, to dish that out over the course of the game. Towards the end of the disc, he starts to have these internal dialogues with himself. And that's where I feel his character development really exists. Because he's been tasked with being the leader of this ragtag group of idiots. And he also has his own personal ambitions. And he knows that since he's a seed... He's not supposed to question his mission, but internally he's questioning it. I don't know if it's that he's questioning the mission. I think it's that every time he has like a dilemma like that is because Renoa wants him to do something and he thinks that that's a stupid idea and he wants to do it his way, but he but can't because he's supposed to follow the orders of the contract. client. So let's let's back up a little bit first. Um, the... The, the game exists in a non-traditional Final Fantasy world because a lot of them were, were like kind of medieval style. This one has cars and modern cities and shit like that. But you, Squall and his group of people, I, I never knew how to pronounce it. I've started calling him Seed. I used to call him CD because the D is capitalized. But I call him CD. But they're whatever. almost like a PMC where they're private military corporation that are out for hire. They're a mercenary group. Yeah, they're they're a a non-militarized mercenary group. They're the the Atlas of of the Final Fantasy world. So at the beginning of the game, you jump in with with Squall and Cypher fighting each other. Squall ends up in the infirmary, and then it's like, oh, hey, guess what? you got to take your seed test today. And there just happens to be a war going on over in Galbadia. So we're going to send you over there, and you gotta you gotta do you gotta do this thing, and you gotta fight them. You, you you gotta push the army back, and they come back, and you become hang out with a puppy. Yeah, you gotta hang out with a dog while Cipher loses his shit, and um, I lost my train of thought with that. Sorry, I brought up the puppy. Yeah, I just you loved did. the puppy. I was very concerned about the puppy's fate. I forgot to uh, rescue the puppy on the way out. <gasps> you can rescue the puppy? I didn't know that. How do you rescue yeah, you the puppy? Yeah, uh, you just, on your way, when you're running away during the evacuation, uh, if you just talk to the dog in the same screen, it'll actually give you a huge bonus to your seed level at the end. Really? Wow. Oh. I didn't know I that. I was too busy running away from that, that spider boss or whatever that thing was. I think my seed level was five at the end of that mission. Yeah, uh, I think that's about low. where mine was too. Um, yours, yours is probably a lot higher though. Now, oh yeah. But, but even before that, you you jump out and and before Squall can go on this this mission to become a seed or pass this test, he's got to go over to um, Ifrit's cave. Apparently, this guardian force just exists on mass for every potential student, and you got to go. <laughs> you got to go. Just just go over there before we leave for this mission this afternoon. Just walk halfway across the continent and go into this cave and fight this demon boss, and then come back and we'll send you across the ocean. But um, what did you guys choose for a time limit for Ifrit? I chose ten minutes, shortest. Ten shortest minutes. Ones. Yeah, that's what As I well. got. I think I did twenty. I don't think because it really matters, concerned. does it? I couldn't freaking figure out where the frig that cave was. Also, they I say, said, like... There's only two other places ever. on the continent to go. It's a city or it a cave. Show where north is? I had no idea. It doesn't show where like, north is. You if can you, bring up the globe. Just figure out where east was. If you press select, Jess, yeah, you have select. three different maps you can look at. Of course you do. Yeah, you can bring, <laughs> you can bring up a globe, you can bring up a mini-map in the corner, or you can bring up the full-screen map. I feel like that would have been in the tutorial. 
Yeah. It, it was not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what the heck? Where's this cave? So. <laughs> is that how far you made it? No, I made it to the top of the tower thing. Well, well you're not. In the radio tower. Yeah. Or yeah. The, okay. Okay. But, okay, so on the way to. Uh, hold on, I've got. I'm trying to discern my notes here. Oh, I was going to ask you, and I this may have already been answered, but at the very beginning of the game, when Squall's laying in the infirmary, um, there's a lady in the mirror who says, "Nice to see you again." And for all of the times I've ever played this, I'm just like, "Yeah, it's Quistus," because then it jumps over to the Quistus intro scene, and I just put it together that that's not her. And later, when they're in the train, Squall is, or they're in the, the they're in the boat. Um, Quistus is like, "Is everything okay?" And Squall says, "Did you see that girl? Who is that girl in the infirmary this morning?" And Quistus is like, "I don't know what you're talking about." And she actually comes up again. You rescue her in the training center. She is the girl when you and Quistus are walking out of the training center, who needs help. Yeah, and she just disappears. Again. And these non these non garden Soldiers come by and they're like, come on, we gotta go. Huh. Do you know what I'm talking about, Kevin? I have no idea what you're talking about. You know when, after the ball, um, uh, Quistus and Squall go out to the balcony and then on their way back out? Yeah, they... yeah, no, I know that, but I didn't know that there was a, a link between that girl and, and the, when oh, Squall was in the... The only reason that we put it together is because this time I paid attention to how she was dressed. She had that white skirt and the blue shirt and, like, that green shawl, and that's the girl that you rescue in the training center, and she just disappears, and you don't ever hear from her again after that. But I honestly don't remember that correlation and how that ties into the story. I don't know if she's a bigger bigger player later in the game. I don't remember either, but my theory is that she is part of the... Uh... Um, she is the young lady that Laguna is interested in. The one, the piano player. So let's talk about Laguna for a second. <laughs> I don't, Sorry to bring that up. No, jump, this is... Jump, this jump is part of the story. We're just jumping around. But this is something that I've never been able to make sense of. And if you read a lot of different people's theories, there's no consistent consensus on who the hell Laguna or what his timeline is. Um so as you're riding the train to, um, where are you riding the train to? Timber, right? Timber. Yeah, you're, uh, yeah, you're riding to timber. to timber, and after you you've passed your seed mission with Selfie and Zell, you guys go into the the train, and you all collapse, and you have this dream where you're Galbadian soldiers running through the forest and fighting enemies, and, um you're led to believe that Squall is Laguna. He's experiencing the dream from the perspective of Laguna, and he's Laguna's even more of a bumbling idiot than Squall is. And he's got this love interest who plays the piano at the Galbadian Hotel in Delling City, and he finally works up the nerve to go and talk to her. Um, but when they wake up, everyone has, like, oh, we had this same dream, and and Squall says, I dreamt I was a moron, and Selfie mentioned that Laguna was cute, so naturally she was either observing it from a 
omnipotent view or she was either Kiros or Ward and then Zell I don't think Zell made any comment about it but um, what's your take on what this whole thing is Kevin I was just waiting to see who was going to jump in yeah that was a like for a second I'm like did my computer freeze (laughs) yeah that's what I was wondering about too I have absolutely no idea what any of that is. Uh, I definitely think that whoever is in your party is is jumping into the other people as well, though. Okay. That's kind of what it seems like to me, but I have no idea, and I, I, I don't remember enough from the other times I've played it to even begin to know if they explain it later on. But I don't think they do, but I want to say it's something to do with the sorceress. And and that's probably true because why not? <laughs> but it's it's very clearly explained that like not clearly explained, but it's implied that your experience as Laguna are happening in the past because this is back before Gelbadia took over, right? Where they're right. trying to they're getting ready to go in and take over Timber. So when you experience Timber as Squall, Timber's already been taken over by the Gelbadian army. So you as Laguna know that this happened in the past. Also, I, and I mean, my theory, just to go back to your original question, which seemed to bring up utter silence, I think that <laughs> this, being in, this being in the past, um, I think what you're seeing right now is a love story of Squall's father and his to-be mother. I think that's the case, too. I think Laguna has some trace, and just in the, in the picture that you see, I guess, has some, you know, he looks like Squall, or Squall looks like him. Um, so I've, I think that what you're seeing is his father, but I don't know. That's just my theory, and it's been so long since I played the game that I just don't remember. Well, and that makes sense going back to the lady in the mirror, too, because later in the game, um, they reveal this whole subplot about how all of these people knew each other as children in, in an orphanage. But Squall still mm-hmm. has fleeting memories of his mother, and yep. that could have been his mental representation of his mom. But then that doesn't explain this, the 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 uh, that chick randomly appearing. Yeah, the chick appearing in the training center. I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna have to play more till to really kind of dig at that one a little bit more. Yeah, I don't know. Um, they're interesting Gavadian soldiers, though. They don't wear the traditional helmets. Ward is Ward would be dismissed in the U.S. Army for his <laughs> obesity, and Kiros wouldn't get it in due to his Marfan syndrome either. So I mean, he's kind of tall and lanky, and you know, all, all loose jointed. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one thing I don't ever explicitly remember them like. This is what this is, but um, the, I'm going to pay attention a little bit more to that. So uh, you go from seed. You go from Balam Garden over to Timber, and you, uh, you and Squall and or Squall, Zell and Selfie are tasked with helping the Timber resistance remove the Galbadian soldiers. And basically, you're given just this shit contract that says you're here until they're liberated, and you have to do pretty much whatever they say. Um, so you head over to Timber, and you meet up with. Rhinoa and her crew of even bigger idiots. One guy who gets out of everything by saying that his stomach hurts. 
Yeah, I, I, that guy pisses me off so much, I, I can't even begin to describe it. <laughs> you got Angelo, the dog with the limit breaks, who somehow, why doesn't he always help them? Yeah, why don't you <laughs> just hang out? He's like, oh, just come on, Angelo, you're just trailing behind us. Angelo, rush. Uh, but when you're in Timber, you kind of uncover this entire plot of um, the Galbadians trying to team up with the Gardens now. And you you kind of pick up that at the beginning of the game, that the Gardens are being a little bit coy about what's happening, because wasn't it... Um, it's Sid who is, ex- who is showing concern. Yeah. And uh, the actual Garden workers, uh, they're, they're the ones who kind of silence him, so to speak. Um, you see that first see that in the ceremony where Squall and his team become CD or seeds, um, and uh, Sid wants to give this big long speech, and the garden people interrupt him and say, "Really, we have to speed things along." You've got business in your office, right? And then Sid goes to each one of them and kind of whispers something to them, like what he wanted to actually say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's your first sign right there that. Um, maybe Sid and the garden workers and the rest of the garden aren't, uh, or seeds and uh, the garden aren't entirely on the same page. Well, I think there's the Galbadian army has probably infiltrated the gardens and they're going to start teaming up. Because as towards the end of the disc, you see that the gardens have, have, like, why are they teaming up with the Galbadian government? And it also is disclosed that the Galbadian Garden is going to be the sorcerer's headquarters. Yes. That is also disclosed. So when you're in Timber, this is where you uncover all of this at the radio tower. Cypher didn't become a member of Seed, and he's pissed. This guy is a loose cannon. And you're dispatched, and, and you discover that Cypher is now in Timber, and he's at this radio sta- or at the radio tower... Because the Galbadians want to send out this message across the country, and nothing's been broadcast for like 17 years. And uh, the Galbadian president wants to introduce his new government ambassador, who is the sorceress. And that's where Cypher shows up, and like all the shit hits the fan. Like, why is Cypher here? Cypher attacks the president, and you assume, okay, he's dead because he attacked the president. But in all actuality, he's teamed up with the sorceress, and that's what kind of kickstarts the rest of the. The story for the last part of the game. Um, I don't know. A lot of setup in disc one. Yeah, huge. There's, there's I'm, I'm the type of guy who likes just to kind of plug and play, but there's a lot of story development here. Thoughts, Jess? Wait, you didn't make it that far. <laughs> nope. <laughs> she made it to the radio tower. Kev, I'm interested Saw in the puppy. your take on like how all this shit's going down. Uh, the, I kind of get the feeling that because Cypher did have that, uh, he squared off with the sorceress before that, right? Yes. And then she casted a spell on him, and then he kind of became all docile and they teleported away together. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of thinking that that the sorceress is in control of Cypher, that he's not doing this of his own free will. See, I think he's doing it of his own free will because he's pu- he, he's power hungry and he didn't get the power that he wanted by being a seed and a leader. So now he's like, fuck this. I'm going with someone who can give me the power that I want. I totally think that he knows what he's doing. I don't know. Because he actively attacked the sorceress. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the next time you see him, it's, Standing oh yeah, to we're together. I'm her knight, is what he said. That's true, Mm because she Mm -hmm. takes over Rhinoa later in the game. Uh, 
I think after that Spoilers. whole... Spoilers! Yeah. I think that whole... <laughs> th- that part with Cypher attacking the president is kind of a huge turning point for Squall's character development. Because he's kind of this docile moron at the beginning part of the game who's just like, oh, he's just super emo. And he, he's just kind of existing. Like, the military mentality is just do what you're told and don't question. But when they're riding in the train, they start having that conversation and that come to that realization of, guys, Cypher's probably dead. I mean, he attacked the president. There probably was no trial. They probably executed him. And everybody starts talking about Cypher in the past tense. And, like, he was a, you know, he may have been... Uh, kind of a jerk but he was a nice guy and all of these past tense verbs are coming out and squall kind of loses it and he says um you know to himself are they going to talk about me this way if i die too and he freaks out and says not me um i won't have anybody talk about me in the past tense and for me that's a huge turning point in his character like his drive for the rest of the game because now he's he has this internal motivation to better himself and not die He's still whining. <laughs> it's the first time he really speaks up and really goes, you know, opens himself up to everybody, I feel. Um, because before, like when Quistus is just pouring her heart out to him, he's like, are you done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's like, I'm not going to be referred to as that. And everybody, if you look at the animation on the screen, every he's like standing over by the door and everybody else is kind of sitting on the furniture. They like all turn and look at him. Because it's um, so out of character yeah, for it's him. A, they're just like, holy crap, this guy is serious now all of a sudden. So, I mean, I think it is a, a pivotal moment in his character development as well. But there is something between Cypher and Rhinoa. Right? Well, it's... Not really that they're they're obviously friends because Cypher was the one who got Renoa the meeting with Sid. Yeah. So it doesn't really ever explain it if they're more than friends, but Well there's a there's a conversation a little later where Rhinoa is asked about her relationship with Cypher and she alludes to the fact that they that she was in love with him. They ask her if she li- if uh she liked him. That's when they're. She doesn't give a clear answer. That's when they're in the mayor's mansion, right? I think so. I don't remember exactly, or maybe I'm on the trains. Okay. So after this whole shit goes down in Timber, you're suddenly you need to get out of town because they see they saw this as an attack on the Galbadian president by the Garden. So they suddenly think that all seed are going to be hunted. Um, so yeah, school- because Zell is a s- complete moron. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He dropped it. He told people that we're from Balam, right? Yeah. Yeah. He they're they're there to assassinate the president, or what? It looks like they're there to assassinate the president. The first thing he says is, "No, don't worry, guys. We're from the garden. It's cool. <laughs> don't mind us. That guy's also from the garden too, but we're not here to kill anyone." But uh, after that, you you got to get out of Dodge. And Kevin, did you finally? You I take it you finally figured out how the hell to get out of Timber. Uh, yeah, it took took quite a while. What were you doing wrong? Uh, you know, just going the wrong way. You were you going, going to the wrong no, train a map, station? Right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> going to the wrong train station. I think is the. Uh, I looked. Mistake. 
because uh, Final Fantasy VII has this really awesome feature yeah. where you can get the little arrow triangle beside yes. the, the corner of the map that you're allowed to exit on. Yep. And in this one, there isn't that. I kinda, And that's kind of devastating. That. Yeah, I miss that. Because, yeah, I mean, the, the backgrounds and the art in this game are, are really awesome. But sometimes the backgrounds all kind of meld together and you can't actually tell where the exit is supposed to be. Well, in Final Fantasy VII, too, by doing that, it helped you find, like, possible secret ways to go as well. Like, I may yeah, not have exactly. known that was an exit, but now I do. But, yeah, that's that's the most common mistake is just going to the wrong train station. But um, you got to get out of Timber and head to Galbadia Garden, right? Yes, because yes. you can't go back to Balm. And after you, the on train the, back to Timber is no, or back to um, Balm is no longer running. And that's when you go through another little story with with uh, round two with Laguna. Round two with Laguna. Nothing important really happens other than they jump off a cliff and get in a boat. Well, you you do encounter the Estar, or uh, Estar, um, Estar army sh- soldiers. Okay, that's the first time you see them, and that later they play a bigger part later. Remember in the game. them. Yeah, remember them. But once you get to um, Galbadia Garden, there's orders waiting for you from Balam Garden, and it breaks down to, essentially, we need to assassinate the sorceress. And you meet your final party member, Irving, who I think is a fuckwad. I can't stand yeah, him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of bad, badly written characters in that game, but he is the worst. Yeah, total <laughs> worst. He is. He's a sharpshooter that... I always assumed he was a seed, but he makes a comment on your mission to assassinate the sorceress. He says something to Squall along the lines of, is it true that seed can't question their mission? And uh, Squall says, I don't remember what Squall says, but that kind of tipped it off. Like, this dude's not a seed? Like, why is he on a seed mission if he hasn't been trained by seed? Because the mayor tells Rhinoa, hey, you haven't been trained for this. You can't, you can't go. Yeah, but it, isn't it also revealed that that's her father? So I mean, obviously she doesn't, or he doesn't want her to go. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yeah. he's you. You ha- you head over to Delling City because the, the 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 sorceress is going to have this huge inauguration parade, and that's when you're going to kill her. Um, you break up into a team. You meet the mayor, and he makes you prove your strength by going to this stupid tomb and recovering a number off of a sword. And uh, Jess, you can really use the map on that one. Yeah, just just <laughs> remember when you get there, Jess. Just only take right turns. Just right, right Tomb all of the, the way. unknown. What is it called? Tomb of Tomb the... of the uh, Lost King. Lost King. Yeah, Tomb of the Lost King. The... I, I actually want to talk King. about that because that is by far Tomb of the Unknown King. Yeah, that is. Okay, yeah, that's that is like the coolest dungeon ever yeah i love the design for that one yeah because it's a maze but every time like let's say you walk forward through a screen transition and then you immediately turn around and walk backwards you're not in the same spot no you are in the same spot but the map is flipped so you're looking at it from the from the top of the screen now and everything is flipped so that map the, the dungeon itself is completely first-person perspective because every time you turn around and transition to the map, it the, the screen flips so that it's looking at it as if you were looking at it through Squall's eyes. Gotcha. 
Yeah, so that I always remember getting super confused in there and just wandering around, and that would always be a place when I would play it before that I would unintentionally level up because I'm just trying to get the hell out of there. <laughs> and then I discovered, I'm just going to do nothing but take right turns, and then you eventually get out of there. Yeah. And making sure you hit every important thing along the way. Because you don't have to navigate that entire tomb if you don't want to. But yeah. you're going to miss out on a great guardian force if you don't. Yeah. Um so back to Delling City, then you, you you get set up on this this mission where Squall and Irving are going to be on the top of this carousel that pops up, and Irving's going to be the one that takes the shot. Um, but you discover that Rhinoa, who is this leader of this anti-government rebel faction, is actually the daughter of a top Galbadian general. So that's messed up. I don't know if that's a cliche or a tired story trope, but. Um, well, I mean, it is based on the way that, uh, the story is unfolding so far, it does kind of make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, the president of Galbadia is making an alliance with the sorceress who a lot of people know, I mean, based on her speech she gave when she took power, a lot of people know that she's an evil bitch. So it would, it kind of makes sense that the top general in the military would be like, Hey, we got a we got to take out this sorceress because shit's about to get real bad for us real quick. Hmm. Yeah, that speech that she that speech that she gives is strange because she gets up and she basically insults everybody. She's like, "Low lives, you yeah. miserable scum! You saw how you know what happened to the person that you." You, you condemned as an evil murderer, and here I am, you've elected me to power. Like, what the hell happened with that? Well, they, uh, I'm not sure if it was Sid or I think it was the, uh, the president of uh, the Galbadia Garden, but somebody had a line that said uh, that she is the type of person who rules through fear. Okay. So the whole speech was designed to say, basically, you people screwed up, and I'm going to make you suffer for it. That's true. That's what. That's the way I read it, at least. And uh, Rhinoa was actually. I think she's the reason that the mission fails ultimately because she wanted to go and give the that Odine bangle to yeah. the sorceress. And had she been able to successfully give that to the sorceress, Irvin's bullet would have connected and killed her, and we'd be done with the game. Game over. But instead... Yeah. But I mean, even if she hadn't attempted to go through with... Like, if she if she would have been locked in the room and she wasn't able to try and, and get this bracelet to the sorceress, which is a terrible plan to begin with, because exactly. sorceress is going to be like, oh, hey, person I've never met before, thank you for this <laughs> gift that I will put on right now. And I clearly am going to know it's an Odine magical bangle that uh, yeah, weakens magic I mean, it's powers. got the brand name on the side. <laughs> she's, a sor- she's an ancient sorceress who's lived for centuries. I'm sure she has some sort of sense for magical items, but no, we'll just ignore all the all the logic about this, and, and Renoa's just going to run full tilt and try to... I have a present for you. Please take it. So there's a couple parts. There, there's a couple things that happen in this part of the game that really make me hate a couple of these characters, especially Quistus. I mean, she was she was actually getting fired at the beginning of the game. Um, Headmaster Sid is like, "Yeah, you just don't have the leadership material," and um, she tells Squall, "Like this is my last 
last mission as an instructor. I just don't have what it takes. And she makes it very clear at this point because she goes off on Rhinoa before they head out for their mission. And they get to their post. They have to be at this spot at a, the exact moment when the, the sorceress comes through in order for this plan to go through. And she goes, maybe I was too hard on Rhinoa. I'm going to go back and apologize. And she leaves her post. And then Selfie's like, hey, wait. And Zell's like, god damn it, women. And he chases after him. <laughs> and suddenly nobody's there. And then they run into the room. And get locked in the room because Rhinoa says, screw it, I'm not going to be locked in here by my dad. And she runs out to go meet the sorceress and all three of these idiots come bumbling in and they get locked in. They see her in the hallway when yeah. they ran out. And they're in yeah, the- I know. And who's, who's going to set like a 15 second timer to lock your daughter <laughs> into a room? It's like, hold on, honey. I want you to stay right here. But in 15 seconds, the lock's going to shut and I'm just going to take off. So, I mean, please don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> it was an elaborate ploy to get you to go through the sewers, which which sucked. Yeah, the sewers. Oh sucked. yeah, the sewers are devastating. It took me about a solid thirty minutes to figure out those little uh, um, what do you call those the water wheel, wheels, water wheel things. Jeez. Oh yeah, the first room that had a water wheel, I was like freaking out, and I'm like, where the <laughs> fuck am I supposed to go? Well, it makes it look like you can run back behind it, so I was like, kept trying to yeah. go right, and then you kept. Randomly encountering enemies, and then it's just a vicious circle. Well, there's an episode. There's a there's a a uh, episode of the Timber Maniacs down there, or there's the Weapon Magazine or something that you have to go a certain way to get it. But if you go over the water wheel to get you out, there's no way you can go back to get it because once you go over a water wheel, you can't go back over it the other way. But eventually, and I only learned this because the first time I went through the sewer. I ended up right back where I started. So you can make your way all the way Even back. Even after around. you get to the end? Yeah, yeah. Oh. The one yeah, you can you, push a ladder uh, down and then it, yeah. it, bridge, it creates a bridge. Gotcha. Maybe I should go back down there. Um, but then the other thing is like Irving sets himself up to be this this hardened sniper who's, who's a lone wolf, but he's sitting there trying to mack on all of these girls. And uh, he's like, you know what? I guess it's just the life of a sharpshooter is a lone wolf. And, and, um, he gets up onto the carousel and he grabs the rifle and he goes and he sits down in the corner to do what you assume to be collect his thoughts. He's like, you pour your whole being into one bullet and he's getting ready to do that. And as the sorceress gets locked in and this, this carousel comes popping up, he freaks out. He's like, I can't do it. The whole, the the rest of the world is going to change because of my one action and my name is going to be tied to this forever. And I can't change history. And, and, Squall basically, in a kind way, tells him to grow the fuck up and just do this and give us the sign. So, basically, I think Squall told him, it doesn't matter if you miss, just fire the damn bullet somewhere. So, that's our sign to go forward because you suck at your job. <laughs> he still almost does hit her. Oh, he's... It, it, he, is, a, it is on, it is on uh, aim. Perfect on aim, point, yeah. But, uh, but unfortunately... She didn't take the Odine Odine bangle. (laughs) I don't know. I kind of think that, like, that shot was destined to miss no matter what. Oh, yeah. Like, even if the bangle somehow made it on the sorceress, I think the sorceress still would have been able to block it. Well, it's almost like she threw up an instant protect spell. Yeah. But, uh... Or that was a spell that was already there. Like, it seems to me that she has contingencies in place... She she realizes she's a tyrant and that the people are going to hate her. Well, even she's, she's not just going to stand out in the middle of the street and say, "Hey, take a pot shot." Well, even when the when the shot is fired and it misses, Squall immediately does the full full um, you know assault 
and there's yeah. people battling in the streets already. It's like, was this planned? Like, this big rebellion already? Or Why are the Galbadian soldiers fighting the civilians? Yeah. that's See, that's where I got a little bit confused. I'm like, is there something I missed here, or what? But, it, was, it was an excuse to have an awesome cutscene. Yeah, true. It was just Hollywood right there. So that was the plan. If the bullet misses, they're supposed to attack head-on, and the leader is supposed to be the one to do it. So Squall says, all right, here we go. Jumps out and he runs up to the sorceress, and that's where you fight Cypher and the Queen, or the the sorceress, which are two of the easiest battles you've encountered in the game to date. Really not difficult. Cypher had like 400 hit points, and I think the sorceress had just over 1,000, but they had a ton of awesome spells you could leech off of them. Um... Yeah, Cypher actually had uh, has a really good item, too, that you can steal if you can get Mug really early. Like, if you do some farming or whatever and get the Mug ability from Diablos mm-hmm. or Ifrit. I don't remember who it's has Diablos. it. It's Diablos. Is it Diablos? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he has, uh, he has some item that is apparently really powerful. I didn't waste the time to, to get it, but apparently he has something really good that if you farm it, you, it's pretty useful. So before I get into how, like, this event here... After, okay, wait, let me back up. You fight Cypher, you fight Adia, and at the end of the battle with Adia, she casts this spell and throws this ice shard, and it pierces through Squall, doing what you assume to be a fatal shot. He falls off the, the float, and boom, the disc ends. Um this is where I'm taking a different mindset playing the game because the first however many times I've played this, what happens in disc two, I never really paid much attention to it. But the theory that I've been extensively reading on and just kind of thinking about my past playthroughs is that this is Squall's death. Squall dies at the end of disc one. And disc two and three are nothing but his last moments of life your life flashes before your eyes and it's all it's everything that's happening is in his head and there's a lot of there's a lot of really interesting things that i never thought about playing before that i literally just got the shivers thinking of where this is gonna eventually come back and that just blew my mind You didn't. You've never thought about that before. I've n- I've never heard of that theory because uh, I mean I played the game once and I haven't really put much thought into it. I played it when it came out and just burned right through the game. So I I've never even thought of that. It, and it, there's a lot of things that happen that start to make sense, and I don't want to spoil that because we got to talk about certain plot points that happen. But that's how I'm going to go through and play it and. It's really interesting. the The way that somebody explained it was that they say when you're when when you're about to die, your whole life flashes before your eyes, but everything goes in super slow motion. So for us, on the outside of somebody dying, boom, uh, they're dead. But for them, they could experience an entire lifetime again of memories and events and emotions and and things that take forever. So there could be this whole second chapter, and it could just be him hallucinating into death, and it makes a whole ton of sense with the final cutscene of the game. So that's how I'm going to play it, and I'm going to view it as, boom, Squall is dead from here on out. He is in the process of dying. Now that's, that's going to be in the back of my head now, and you're going to absolutely just ruin the story for me, because I'm not going to be able to get that out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's how I'm doing it. You do your low-level playthrough, and Jess, hopefully you can get to the end of disc one by the next show. Uh, There's a couple things towards the end of the disc that I really, really enjoyed. After playing modern RPGs where, like, take Dragon Age Inquisition, for example. Uh, You're walking around, and your characters are talking to you as you're just moving. And it's just like this this story that develops as you're playing and they did it in rogue galaxy and a bunch of other rpgs where your characters are just interacting with each other and talking but it's also minor plot development where it's character characters developing sharing their thoughts and you're getting more insight on it and i never noticed it before but towards the end of this disc final fantasy 8 starts to do that as well where you're walking along and the characters are talking to each other squalls having these internal dialogues and i never really paid too much attention to that before but like that was a pretty progressive um game feature for that time because i don't think any other rpg had really done that where you're walking and developing the story and doing things at the same time Hmm. i guess i didn't notice that right off the bat yeah that's disc one guys any other final thoughts we want to dump in before we uh plow forward through disc two uh do you guys know what your play time is yet I am. Like, do you remember what you're at? Nine hours and forty-seven minutes. I think I'm at. Jesus. I think I'm at twelve, but I accidentally left it on for a while. So. Well, my... you've done a lot of farming. Too. I did do a lot of farming, but I also I'm pretty sure I left it on for a while. For a while that, uh, so some of that time isn't counted. Yeah, I wonder if uh, I wonder if you guys will ever catch up to me, just because now the other discs <laughs> are going to be so much faster for me than they are for you. What, True. What yeah. playtime are you at, Kevin? Uh, I'm at like 17, 18 hours, oh, I think. Oh, wow. God. Disc one can be done in like six and a half hours if you really, really push. Yeah, I would agree with that. Oh, there is one other thing. Jess, what's your playtime? Uh, I don't know. There's one other thing that I wanted to, to talk about. Um, I always I love the music from Final Fantasy. I mean, my wife and I had Final Fantasy music at our wedding. Um we had the ending theme from this game, Final Fantasy VIII, as our theme to walking down the aisle, and then Gold Saucer as our recessional coming out. So I pay a lot of attention to the music, and, and up to this point, all the music had been done by Nobu Uemetsu, but there's one song that recurs consistently throughout this game that's not written by him, and it's by a Japanese singer named Fei Wong, and it's a song called Eyes on Me. And it's the song that, what's her name in Laguna Story? Julie? The piano player. Yeah, I think so. It's the song that she's playing, but she can't write lyrics for it. And Laguna and Julie go on this date where he does nothing but talk about himself. And she kind of, for some reason, is enamored with that. And she kind of tosses out this line of, I can't write the lyrics, but Laguna, your eyes give me inspiration. And if you listen to that song called Eyes on Me and listen to the lyrics, it matches up perfectly with what's happening in Final Fantasy VIII, where Laguna's on one side of the bar and the singer is at the piano and they make eye contact and her his eyes give her the inspiration. And it's one of those things that I thought was really interesting. If you don't dig into it and actually listen to the song, you're like, eh, it's just another song that Nobu wrote. Hmm. So, give it a listen. Eyes on me, Fei Wong. And that's that song comes up time and time and time again. And they actually play the full version of the song with the lyrics when Squall and Rhinoa are in the Ragnarok out in space. 
Oh. Well, we'll come back to that then. Eventually. So, any final thoughts? I just, um, you've ruined the, the story for me, Eric. I'm just so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm can't see, when I read it it initially ruined it for me too because I'm like this is such a fantastic story I love Squall and Rhinoa as this these if you want to use a Shakespearean term star-crossed lovers where this the, the relationship is just destined to fail because of all the shit that's happening in their life but um, viewing it from this standpoint I think is going to change my perspective on it and I actually I actually like it because it lends a little bit of mystery to it and there's more interpretation for what's happening. So, time will tell. Time will tell. Jess, are, I know you haven't completed this, but are you intrigued enough with the game to continue playing? Or do you think you'll be one of those people that says, I don't like this game, I'm done? Um, I don't want to be that. Like, I want to give it a little bit more effort and see if it comes, but I can see myself being over the fighting. Well, I think Derek made a good stuff. point earlier when he said that disc one is very very story intensive and for those of you who want to play the game and just kind of experience the game and play the battles and like do things well paced this game doesn't start out that way disc two and three are fantastic for that there's a ton of exploration and right. things to do but you gotta just pound through the first disc, disc. one is very linear I yes mean, there are areas to explore but for the most part it's very linear but just mm-hmm. just get through disc one and the game just explodes and becomes awesome. Especially once you okay. start getting the garden and then you get the Ragnarok to fly around and you start going and, and going to the island closest to heaven and island closest to hell to level and stuff like that. So leveling a bunch of suckers. <laughs> <laughs> Who plays games? So uh, interestingly, one of the things that I'm gonna have to do for some of the later fights, like especially if I want to fight Omega. Uh-huh. Is uh, I have to get the Tonberry. Oh fuck! Guardian I Force. hate that Guardian Force. He's so hard, yeah. he and him, uh, I have to use the level down ability that he has to level down enemies further because some enemies have a fixed level like Omega. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so you you spend the first bit of the fight just leveling him down until he's level one. <laughs> and then you just one shot him basically. <laughs> Tonberries are a son of a bitch, though. Oh yeah, um, Tonberries are, are and they are give very you easy. no experience and one AP, and they take like twenty five minutes to beat. Yep, and you need to kill twenty seven of them in a row in order to get the Tonberry Guardian Force. Yeah, that's <laughs> and there's one there's a tower that, I don't remember what the tower is called, but there's a tower where that's all you fight are Tonberries. So um, have fun. <laughs> Aaron posted some stuff about that mysterious girl, but we'll talk about that later because I feel like that gets re- that gets revealed in the scenes with the orphanage. So we're we're gonna stock that up for next show. I can't tell you when the next show is gonna be. Um, disc two is probably gonna take a while, so it might be a month before we do another one of these shows. But uh, let me see if we had any emails quick about this. I forgot to pull that up. So, oh yeah, I guess we can talk. Uh, what's your guys' go-to team so far? I'm more of the Irving. Of course, you got Squall, and then I like to throw in Renoa in there. I like the random dog encounters. I'm a I'm a canine lover. You know, I like Angelo, Angelo Rush. 
You guys don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's, it's Renoa's Limit Break. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't use Renoa, so I don't, I don't really use that too well. Irving I, Squall Renoa. I stick with, um, I stick with guys, Irving, Zell, and uh, Squall. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, I use Squall, Quistus, and Selfie. Selfie, really? Selfie's uh, limit break is actually pretty awesome. What is hers? Selfie, Selfie's limit break is really good in low level because for some reason uh, the the chance of getting a spell... Because what it is, is it's like a slot machine where you have a re-roll option and a cast option. Uh-huh. So every time you hit re-roll, you'll get, uh, you'll get a spell and a number of times it's cast. So you can get three between one and three casts of the spell and then uh, a list of spells that changes as you level up. So there's like a 20% chance on each reroll at level seven that you'll get the full life spell, Mm -hmm. which is like ridiculously powerful in any situation where you get into a little bit of trouble. You just have her in her limit break and definitely use her first Diablo cast full heal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, And then uh, Questus I use because her blue magic, you can get almost all of them right at the game, right at the beginning of the game with uh, card modding. So you can have barrier and and like uh, bad breath and like all these really high end blue magics, and you can get them right away. So I need to spend some time at disc one just pounding up my guardian forces and like refining shit because I never really did that in the past. So I want to experience that aspect of the game this time around. And it 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 gets you so powerful so fast. Yeah. Once you get the I don't, cards and the items that you need, I don't think I'm going to get 1,200 cards. But no, <laughs> that's just a stupid amount of cards. I mean, even if you're taking six, well, how many cards do you play with? Six, six, five, uh, five, five. five even yeah. if you're taking five, you're playing hundreds of card games. Yeah. <laughs> and each card game takes about uh, two minutes. That's just ridiculous. 17 Kevin. hours. That's, that's what he said he's at. Jeez, that's but, nuts. Uh, uh, one little pro tip that I found, especially if you have... Because like, I only have... You guys might be doing it different, but I only have three sets of, of magic, so three people will be fully stocked on stuff, and then the other three will have absolutely nothing on them. Mm-hmm. So you can use the junction switch ability to junction everything from one person. Uh, so if they have HP junction with Kuraga, yeah. they'll have the, the 3,000 hit points. When you junction that to somebody who has nothing equipped, their max HP will, will increase, but their current HP will stay the same. Yeah. So if you have Squall at 500 hit points, and then you junction everything onto him to bring him up to 3,000 max... He stays at 500. It'll, he'll stay at 500, and it'll instantly put him in the limit break. Oh, so you can use that to have key people in limit breaks at the beginning of key fights, so that you can cast uh, certain spells or abilities that you really want to get. I was going to say, I always have to just keep track of like Squall is always tied to Rhinoa. I have Irving tied to Selfie and Zell tied to Quistus, and I only junction them back and forth. So when you have to switch parties, I do a similar strategy. Yeah, that's kind of how I do it too. But uh, but yeah. Try that if you're if you're having trouble with a boss or something, or if there's ever a fight where you don't think you're strong enough to do it. Just uh, game the limit breaks that way, and it's just so much easier. 
So we've got one email here. I kind of sent this out a little late that we were doing this show today, so people didn't get a chance to write in. But uh, we will be doing two more shows. So if you want to write in, factorysealed at manatank.com. Jay Jorgensen writes in, and I feel like his opinion is reflective of a lot of people. He said, I once started playing Final Fantasy VIII, but after the first disc, I got way too bored to finish it. Is there something wrong with me? I enjoyed the hell out of Final Fantasy VI and will always consider Seven to be one of the best games ever made, regardless of really terrible polygons and whatnot. Hopefully these episodes inspire me to replay the game again and give it a fair shot like your show for Final Fantasy VI did. Um, no, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. I think you fall right in line with a lot of people's viewpoints, but you just you got to know how to play the game. Keep plugging, Jay. Yeah. Just get back and play it. Get through that first yeah, disc. Just, uh, just use a walkthrough, man. Like, they're, they're great resources. They are. Mm-hmm. I feel like, Jess and I talked about this on our Suikoden show, though, but I feel like using a walkthrough, I become so dependent on that that I don't develop my own strategy and my own characters. But for 8, I feel like you almost, you kind of need to. You kind of need to have those little tips, like yeah. how to junction and what, what to look for early on, because it sets you up for the rest of the game. And once I found out that I started using the guide at the beginning of the game just to see for any secrets, if there are any secrets that I was missing... But I found myself using it less and less. Like, by the end of disc one, I was only going back to just say, oh, well, let's just see what the guide's opinion is on this. Yeah. So you do develop your own opinion. Like, what's this boss weak against? And I right. use it to make sure I don't miss any of the Guardian Forces. That's my big reason. I, there's a few that I still always forget where they're at. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's kind of frustrating for newer players, especially if you don't use the draw system a lot is that you can just straight up miss Guardian Forces because you forget to draw on a certain fight. And if you if you miss it, it's done. There's no chance yeah. of going back. That you can't get See, it back, I it's gone forever. used a walkthrough, and I feel like I should. Because I've, I've got a walkthrough of just the Guardian Forces. I can send that to you, where you, it doesn't spoil anything. It just, show, it just tells you this is when you get this one, and this is how you get it. Like Carbuncle, yeah, suggest, if you didn't know uh, to draw off the Iguions, you'd miss Carbuncle. Yeah, if you're if you're not looking for like a full walkthrough, like check out check out a junction walkthrough and check out the Guardian Force and maybe even a card walkthrough so that you can see which people yeah to challenge to get certain cards. But I mean, this is a game where you can just completely ignore a story walkthrough and you can learn enough that you'll be able to play the game to an extent where it's not it's not tedious and it doesn't seem like a challenge. Yes. Well, not that it doesn't seem like a challenge, but not that it's so challenging that it makes you want to stop playing like a lot of people seem to say. Yeah. It's a, it, it is overwhelming at the beginning, but like Derek said, just plug through it and it eventually just kind of snaps into place and everything becomes a ton of fun. So um, send us an email with how either how you're playing through it, what your thoughts on it so far are. Um, I'd like to hear if anybody else has a different mentality. Until Kevin said that he was doing a low-level playthrough, I'd never imagined anybody doing that because... Like Derek said, RPGs, generally the bosses you wander, or like Kevin said, you wander into areas that are too powerful for you. But if you've got a different way you're playing it, like if you're going solo one person only, awesome. Let's hear it. Um, yeah, apparently that's possible too. You can do a solo squall, no level up, no junction oh, run. Oh, shit. Which I don't even want to begin to understand how that's even done. These people are nuts. <laughs> so... Disc 2 will be coming down the pipeline. Um, again, like I said, probably a little bit later. So, uh, Kevin, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Dinner Dangles. Jess. 
at I am a Jess. You can find me at Honest Pizza. Derek, are you on Twitter? I think I am. Do you tweet anything? I don't, so don't worry about <laughs> it. I'll follow some people, and I'll, I'll use to look at news. Derek will read your Twitter. Send, uh, send me a letter at 366. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Old correspondence. That's going to do it for our show this week. Um, we don't really have anything on the docket coming up. We might do a show next week or the week after. Uh, keep an eye on our Facebook page or one of us on Twitter, and we will let you know. So... If you watch us live, thank you for tuning in. Otherwise, we will catch you all next time. Bye.